Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse fourteen. As we open up God's precious word, let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, and we thank you so very much for your word. That's been celebrated and, and we praised you for it several times already this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we don't grope around in darkness. We thank you, Lord, that we're not stumbling around like we do in a dark room that we're unfamiliar with and and trip and fall and injure ourselves. But now the light's been turned on. And we thank you, Lord, that we see you now in all your glory in the face of of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And that your word, which is about and is him, became flesh. And now we have truth and we have light that we can walk in. Your word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we thank you that we have clarity where we would otherwise have nothing but confusion. And we would have uh, faith when we'd rather we would otherwise have fears that plague us that we can never get beyond. And we have hope when otherwise we would be hopeless. And we have a destiny in heaven and we were otherwise desperate. And I thank you so very much that uh, now we can feast on it. And I pray that we'll feed on it this morning. That you'll open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us in the Scriptures. Because we know they are alive. And uh, and we pray that you'll take this living Word and embed it in our souls. I pray, Father, that wherever there's hardness, you'll crack open our heart and make it soft and palatable so that it finds its way easily into a, a, a receptive heart. May we receive it with meekness this Word that's able to save our souls. And uh, we uh, thank You uh, that we can open it up. And by opening it up, we open up heaven and we open up our glorious Christ, our Savior and our Lord. In the sweet and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you will, if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14. The Bible says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I know we've been in Revelation. Uh, and going through Revelation, we find ourselves now, or we did, in Revelation chapter 5 last week. But all week long, I felt compelled uh, to go here. 
I think one of the reasons why and kind of the catalyst for that, I, I trust is the Holy Spirit, of course, but the way He did that with me is, is my son Paul, precious son, is uh, throughout the better part of this month has been asking me how many days, what the countdown was to Christmas. He'd get up and say, and I know you all have heard that, and he'll say, all right, Daddy, how many days is it until Christmas? And I said, okay, well, let's make a math lesson out of this. I said, Christmas is on the 25th. Today is the 15th. 25 minus 15 is, you know, so we go through all that. And he'll usually get the answer before I do. And then, um, and we go through that. And there was one particular morning he woke up and I said, uh, and, he, and we were at the breakfast table and he said, all right, Daddy, how many days until Christmas? I said, son, today is Christmas. I said, as a matter of fact, today is Easter as well. And as a matter of fact, um, Christ could come back. And, uh, and He's coming back. He's coming again. And so we're looking forward to that. So actually, there's no countdown for Christmas with us. Um, the fact that the world, um, in general, identifies a day uh, to celebrate Christmas, and then they'll also identify a day to celebrate um, Easter, uh, we want to capitalize on those moments. We would be foolish not to. I mean, I know that the world's attention is not on the, the, the purposes and it's directed away from it. But while they are at least calibrated that way, in some sense, uh, that uh, we, should, we should as Christians take advantage of that. We should take advantage of that in going further with sharing with others why He came and what is the significance of His birth. Did He just come as a... Um, as a, a religious leader who was a, a real philosophical guy who taught us a better way to live and lived a modeled life for which we should model our lives, and that was it. Because most people probably consign him to that. That's, that's it. You'll hardly meet anybody that will argue with you that Christ didn't walk this earth. Most people believe that there was a historical figure. His name is Jesus Christ. And he made some claims about being kings of the Jews and then also got himself in trouble with the Roman authority and frankly spoke and ran his mouth too much and got himself killed. But while he was here, he sure did leave a great life. And that's about it. And so the living reality is not history. It's anchored in history, but Christ is a living reality. And we cannot, we need to look at him the way the Bible says we need to look at Him. And it, the, 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 the center of that that I want us to focus in on or feel led for us to focus in on is verse 16. He said, From now on, therefore, because Christ died for us and rose again, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. We need to view Christ and our view of Christ and our look at the manger needs to be done in light of the throne. Because when Christ came, His incarnation and His becoming a man had an eternal purpose. He was on an eternal mission and it was a rescue mission. He was sent to put Himself in harm's way in my place and yours and be the object of the wrath of God as a result of the sin of man being placed on Him so that through repentance and faith 
men and women and boys and girls, can escape the wrath that is to come. He was born crucified. But He was also born crucified, buried, and resurrected. He was also born crucified, buried, resurrected, and then ascended to heaven. And it was born crucified, resurrected, buried, ascended to heaven, and is coming back again. We can't slice the life of Christ up into little bitty nice portions because we're going to miss the whole point. This is who Christ is. And I think far often, the more than we realize, we regard Him in the flesh too much. The Bible says we don't regard Him in the flesh anymore. He came to do what He set out to do. And that has the direct bearing on everything about you and I right now. Because here's the bearing. We're now, because of His completed work and His hope, our hope of His return, a new creation. We've been made brand new. We're no longer the old person that we used to be. We've been made new in Him. And I want us to focus on that this morning. Look at verse 16. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? What does that mean and why? Well, first of all, that means that when we see Christ, not according to the flesh, but we see Him in His full orbed glory, it's going to change our view of others who are lost, of we who are saved, and it's also going to change our view of fellow believers. All because of how we view Christ. The reason that is, is found in the key is in these verses. It says, now look, we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. Even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, yes, He did come. But we don't know Him that way anymore. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And Acts chapter 9 is the record of the conversion of, at the time, Saul, who was converted to Christ, and God changed his name to Paul, and called him out to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And of course, Paul was used by God to write 2 Corinthians, where we're just reading now. Look what it says. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, this is Paul, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, have you, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, man, you're resisting me. But I'm going to break down your resistance. I'm telling you that right now. But listen to how he saw him. He didn't see him in a manger. He didn't see him on the cross. He saw him in blinding light that made him fall to the ground as if he was a dead man. And then called him Lord because he knew he was talking to the, to the God of this universe. You see him in the flesh, thus no longer. We got to get beyond the manger. We don't we don't stay in the manger 
And we don't neglect the manger. But the manger was a means to a glorious end. And that was, or a beginning really, that was the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus Christ. We don't regard Him in the flesh. We regard Him in the flesh no more. Today is Christmas Day. Today is Easter. And today I'm looking up into the heavens awaiting His return. That's today. That's all rolled into one. That's what the Lord's Supper will be about. At the end of the service, we'll take the Lord's Supper. We've talked about this many times. What does the Lord's Supper say? So often you do this. What? You remember my death till I come. It doesn't say as often as you do this, you remember the baby born in the manger. As often as you do this, you remember Bethlehem. It doesn't say that. So as often as you do this, you remember my death. He died on the cross. That's why He came. My death. Not just anybody's death. My death. God took on human flesh. My death. You remember my death. Now, if it's going to be that we remember it till He comes, it means between His death and His coming, there was a resurrection. And so you remember my death. You remember my burial. You remember my resurrection. And you remember and you're anchored by my hope of my return. There it is. So dear ones, we should be so grateful for the Lord's Supper this morning because the Lord's Supper is an habitual reminder on the part of the saints that we regard Christ in the flesh thus no longer. Hallelujah. Now, if we regard Christ that way, here's the point this morning by way of application. If we regard Christ in the flesh thus no longer, if that is true, and it is true, and we need to press into that truth and grab it and appropriate it. That means that we don't regard anybody else according to the flesh anymore. So it says, isn't it? The reason, look what he said in 14. Therefore, from now on, from this time forward, this truth, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because we knew Christ according to the flesh, but now we don't know Him that way anymore, and neither do we know anybody else that way. Now, what does that mean? It means a lot, but we're going to go through three aspects of what that means. First, what does that mean about others who don't know Him? How we view them. Now, in the New International Version of the Bible, verse 16 is translated this way, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Every translation has its strengths and weaknesses. But that's a weakness here. Because the word that flesh is translated from is a word that you'll recognize, and it's the word in the Greek, S-A-R-X, sarax. You have to roll the R's, but I can't do that. And so that's what sarax is what it, the way it's pronounced with a rolled R. And so... It is the word flesh. So it is, we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. In other words, for the lost, here's how we view them. There are only two categories of people. There are only two. Now we categorize people a billion different ways. Oh, how tragic. We categorize people on their skin color. We categorize people according to their dialect and their language. We categorize them according to geographical Boundaries. We categorize them according to culture. We categorize them according to education. 
We categorize them according to abilities and strengths and weaknesses, handicaps or lack of handicap. We've got eight million in zillion ways of categorizing people. God categorizes people two ways. That's it. That's it. There are only two categories of people. I heard it said one time by an undertaker that everybody looks different on the outside, but when you look at them on the inside, it all looks the same. There are two types of people. If we want to be very Romanish about this, and when I say that I mean Book of Romans, there are two types of people. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ, and that's it. Alright? Now, if we regard Christ in the flesh thus no longer, and it says we regard no man, not, now Paul's not talking about just believers here, we regard no man in the flesh anymore, then here's what this means for us as a regard to the non-believer. The non-believer in Adam is entrapped in a condition that he can do nothing about. There is no hope in Adam. The reason is, and you know it, but on the day that Adam sinned in the garden and rebelled against God, the seed of mankind was in his loins. And as soon as he sinned, the curse of sin which is death was spread to all men because we were in Him. The seed of mankind, of everybody who's in this room, who's ever been conceived, not born, but who has ever been conceived, they were conceived in iniquity. Modern day psychology wants to go back to childhood. What happened to you in the third grade? Was somebody ugly to you? Did you have a nickname? Did, throw, throw, did somebody throw you off the porch? Or somebody, you know, and then we can explain your behavior by going back to childhood. That's their approach. Let me tell you God's approach. He goes back to Adam. God goes back to Adam. Because He says, wait just a minute. Everything went awry right there. Childhood is just a window dressing. Childhood is flesh management how we can somehow or another contort and manage the flesh in order to make something better out of Adam. We cannot make anything better out of Adam. Adam is condemned. Adam has no hope. And Adam cannot escape his own plight. You look at um, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Arguably, one of the most significant verses in all of the Bible as far as answers to what you look around and see every day on the outside and what you see in the mirror is right here in this verse. Let's get it. Therefore, just as through one man... Who's that speaking of? Adam. As through one man, sin entered the world. Okay? Sin entered the world. But it just didn't enter into Adam's world. It entered into mine and yours. Because look what it says. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all men have sinned. In other words, Adam sinned. The contagion of sin was spread throughout the entire human race at that time. So everybody who's born in Adam, which is everybody, sins. And we prove it because we sin. The reason we know we're sinners is really profound, isn't it? Is because we sin. We do what comes natural. As a matter of fact, 
Here's how we regard. This is the implication. This is not the... Because we don't regard Christ in the flesh any longer, here's the way we see Adam. We see Adam as hopeless, and we see Adam as unreconciled to God, in desperate need to be reconciled. We do not, we are not impressed with the flesh, because God is not impressed with the flesh. We don't expect the flesh to do anything righteous because the flesh is incapable of doing anything righteous. We don't expect lost people to do anything but act lost. That's it. That's that, so we don't regard them. That's what it means to look at a lost person with compassion and say, I too was once a person who was not reconciled to God. I was a person who was separated from God by my sin. And there's a gap here. There's a gulf between me and God. And I cannot and could not close it. I couldn't bridge that gap. It's impossible. Because now I was born in Adam. And the reason I do the things that I do is because I was born to whom I was born. And I go out and do what comes natural to me. And what comes natural to me is to sin. As a lost person, that's who I was. I'm not that way now, but that's who I was. And what does, it, what, does that, what does that move me to do? I want you to look at the language. You want to talk about complacency about the gospel? Find it in this text. If you can find complacency and apathy about the gospel in this text, I would love for you to show it to me. Listen to it. He said, okay, because this is true and we regard no one as in the flesh, we understand in verse... Uh, in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And now, as a result of me having been reconciled to God, Jesus came in between me and a righteous and judge, uh, worthy judge, God, and me as an unworthy sinner, and bridged the gap through His cross and made peace where we were at enmity with one another. And He's the only way that peace can be made. It's through Him. And now, because He's done that for me, now, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything that you could be called to do that's greater than that? Can you think of anything? Whatever you do is used of God to do that. It, 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 whatever form it might take, whatever we do is to be used of God to do that. That, we have the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? God, this is a, it's a message. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and now has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The word of reconciliation, there it is. It's the gospel. It's the word of God, isn't it? And we've been committed with the word of re- and look at look at the look at the language here. Now the now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as go though God were look at the language, pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We don't regard you in the flesh anymore. I don't expect anything out of you. You're incapable of helping yourself. The Bible says that before you're saved. When God sent His Son to die on the cross, we were helpless. When you're born into Adam, you cannot get yourself out of that line. Trying to get out of Adam, recognizing 
that you're in a mess and under condemnation in Adam through your own effort is trying to pick yourself up while standing in the bucket you're trying to pick up. Have you ever tried to do that? I brought a bucket in here one morning to illustrate that truth about something else and stood inside the bucket. And I said, I dare you to pick up a bucket you're standing in. You can't do it. Pick it up. And you say, well, that's silly. That might be silly, but it illustrates a profound truth. And that is that no man in Adam can make himself righteous or fit for a holy God. You cannot work your way to heaven. You don't earn it and you don't deserve it. It is a gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise His holy name. And that's the message. It says, we are ministers of reconciliation. What does that imply? It implies that men and women and boys and girls need to be informed that they are not reconciled to God. Don't they need to know that? You are not reconciled to God. You were born in this lost condition and there's nothing, not anything that you can do about it. You can try religion. You can spend yourself to be a good person. But everything that you do good is tainted in some way, is jaundiced in some way by the Adam nature. There's no way that you can do anything with pure motive. As a matter of fact, the most evil thing that man ever does is not the patent evil he does. The most evil and wicked thing that the man ever does is the good things he does that says he thinks he can be as good as God. That is disgusting. Any good act that Adam does, thinking that he can smug himself up and rub shoulders with a holy God, is the most offensive thing he does do. This is why the Pharisees were the object of Christ's criticism it is not a wonder that they called for His death. The miracle is that they waited as long as they did to do it. Every time He opened His mouth to them, He didn't have anything but harsh, critical, scathing words for them. Why? Because they were doing exactly what I just said. They were trying to dress up Adam and make Adam fit for a holy God and offended God to no end. And they were using His Word to do it. Imagine. It's trying to dress up a pig a pig is a pig. It doesn't matter what you do with a pig. It doesn't matter if it's the pig on Green Acres, the one that they had there that was such a pet. I forgot his name. The little pig that they would have come in. Arnold. Arnold the pig on Green Acres was the pig, the pet pig. And he would go in there and they treated him like they're just like their son. And you know, Arnold would watch TV and he would come when you called him and stuff like that. But let me tell you this. You let Arnold go outside that that house, and I tell you where he's headed. He's not headed to the shower. He's headed to the pig pen to waller where his nature leads him to go. We don't regard any man. The flesh can't please God. Look at this. Look at Romans chapter 8. Adam has no capacity to please God. Adam has never done anything to please God. You remember, guys, those of, us, those of us who've been journeying together in Romans, and we've asked this question before, what determines whether an act is holy or whether it's unholy? What determines whether an act is sinful or whether or not it's righteous? What is it? Is it the act itself? No. What is it? Origin. Where it came from. If it came from Adam, it's always sinful. If it came from Christ, it's always righteous. Period. Even if it appears good and was done by Adam, it, is, it comes from a motive that has nothing to do with the glory of God. Nothing. 
As a matter of fact, it's an attempt to steal His glory. Look at it. Romans chapter 8. For to be carnally minded, verse 6, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh, and could you not say, in Adam, cannot please God. You're in Adam, you can't please God. Look at John chapter 6, verse um, 63. Jesus was speaking to... Is uh, uh, scores of people that were following him at one time, and some of them got, some of them got off at this point, and they said, "Okay, we're done with you because your sayings are too hard for us." And what he was doing is he was speaking spiritual truth to them, and they were trying to process it with carnal means. But he was speaking spiritual truth, and look what he says to them here. It says when he talks about you've got to eat of my body and you've got to drink of my blood, and they were going, "Wait a minute, now we don't eat bodies, and we're not cannibals, we don't drink blood," and they were offended. But he was communicating to them spiritual truth. And here's what he said. 61. End of it. Does this offend you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascend to where, where He was before? Verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh, what? Prophets. Nothing. We don't regard people according to the flesh. We don't see them that way. We see them either in Christ, because that's the way God sees them, or in condemned, or in Adam. I mean, in, uh, I mean, in Christ justified, or in Adam condemned. One or the other. That's it. As a matter of fact, the Bible actually calls Jesus the second Adam. And it also calls Him the last Adam. There's not going to be another one. So there are only two categories of people. Drop it. It doesn't matter red, yellow, black, and white. They're precious in His sight. Yes, sir. That's right. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're a South Georgia hick like me or you're you're a Brooklyn Yankee. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There are only two categories of people. And that is either you're in Adam or you're in Christ. We regard people according to the flesh, thus no longer. That's not how we know Christ. In His glorified state, He met, the glorified Christ met Paul, and Paul never got over it, and he said, we knew Him on earth, but we know Him that way, thus, no longer. Alright, now, that changes how we see lost people. And that radically changes, that radically changes how we see ourselves as saved people. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what it says. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, right now, as soon as we leave here today, we're messed up because we can't do this anymore. Alright, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him that way, thus no longer. Now, hallelujah. For ourselves as Christians, what does that mean? It means that now we have been taken from the Adam line and killed. See, Adam is not useful to God. The flesh cannot what? Please God. The Bible says the flesh is at enmity with Christ. It, I love the way it says it. It doesn't say they're enemies because enemies can be reconciled. But when you're at enmity, 
it speaks of a permanent, unalterable condition. There is no hope for reconciliation. If it is said, the flesh and God are enemies, then the devil could come along and say, see there, there's a hole in your salvation. There's a place right there because enemies can be reconciled. It happens all the time. There are plenty of people. Herod and Pilate became friends. When Jesus got in front of them, and the Bible says they were enemies until that day because they were united and they're rebellion against the Son of God because rebellion attracts rebellion. And so they became friends. They were reconciled. So enemies reconcile all the time. No, no. The flesh is at enmity with God. It is an unalterable, permanent condition. It can't do anything about it. And so the Lord says, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to kill you. And then I am going to put you now in my son. Whereas you were in Adam's line and couldn't do anything about it, guess what? If you've repented and put your faith in Christ, you're in Christ's line and you can't do anything about that either. Because I didn't do it to myself and you didn't do it to yourself either. I remember one time. I'll get to that in a minute. And here's why. Here's why. Look at this. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? The love of Christ is this. In that while we were yet sinners, He demonstrated His love for us by dying for us. Okay, The love of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the cross of Christ. God demonstrated love. God did what love does. Love is a verb. Love acts. If you tell somebody you love them and you never do anything to show it, you don't love them. But if you tell somebody you, do, you love them and then you act on that, then it shows that you love them. And he said, Christ compels us. We're moved this way. And here's the judgment. One... Died for all. Then all died. Now think about that for a minute. Christ not only died as my substitute, Christ died as my representative. He died in my place and yours. And then credits us with His death, credits us with His burial, and hallelujah, credits us with His resurrected life. So what happened when we got saved is, and we might not have known all this, this is where God unpacks it all for us after we get in and God says, let me just show you this. Romans to me, my, my grandfather used to drive an old Ford Falcon. It was the ugliest car ever made. And nobody would want to get out of the house with it, but my grandfather would have drove it to the White House. It had a big white steering wheel that was that thick. It was that thick. You had to grab it. And it didn't have power steering, Scott. So it took three people. Whoever was sitting beside you had to grab a hold of the wheel to steer it. And it, and it was just a terrible looking car. And it's almost like this. You got that Ford Falcon and you got a Ferrari, a brand new Ferrari right off the, right off the, right off the assembly line. And God opens up the hood of the Falcon and said, there's Adam. Then He opens up the hood of the Ferrari and says, look what you've got now. This is what you have now. You were once that old broken down, useless piece of junk that's no good except for the wreck pile. And now look what I've made you in my son. Hallelujah. How did he do it? Well, it's a mystery. It's mysterious, but yet known to us. He did it. Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And then we'll go to another place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. When you and I got saved, the moment we repented and put faith in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, 
we were baptized, every one of us, no longer now, okay, this is all in Christ. We were baptized into one body. We were baptized into Christ. We were baptized into His death. We were baptized into His burial. And we were baptized into His resurrection. Think of it like a baptism. When water baptism takes place, the Holy Spirit took us and took us and immersed us into the death of Christ and then raised us up to have and to walk in the eternal life of Christ. It's the transaction that took place that got you and I out of Adam and put us in Christ. And that's not going to happen in the sweet by and by. That's true today in the nasty now and now. That's true today. That is true right now if you're a believer. Praise His name. Now, look at well, Galatians 2.20. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Galatians 2.20. You know the verse and you're familiar with it. Look at it. Oh my. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. What is he saying? I am no longer in Adam, I have been taken out of the line. How could that happen? Except through Christ as my substitute and my representative. How could I come to that place except I be what? Born again. And when we're born again, we're taken out of Adam and we're put in Christ. That moment, right there, eternity. You were helpless and hopeless and so was I in Adam. And we are nothing but hopeful in Christ and full of His power. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. How did that transaction, what is the catalyst that moves that? What is it? It is the faith that is gifted by the Holy Spirit. The repentance and faith in Christ. And at that time, you're taken out of Adam and you're put in Christ. And just like you couldn't do anything about being in Adam, you can't do anything about being in Christ. You're stuck with Him. Aren't you grateful? He's the last Adam. He's not just the second Adam. He's the last one. There's not going to be another one. God's not going to do this again. And then you cross over into what? Life. Look at Eric sang it. I'm glad he did that this morning. Romans chapter 6. Could no way be talking about these things without going to Romans chapter 6. In Romans, one of my favorite books in the Bible, the end of chapter 5. The end of chapter 5 is like this. Chapter 5 ends like this. He says, okay, at the end of chapter 5, he says, you were once in Adam. And here's what that meant. Condemnation. And now, through repentance and faith in God's work through His Son Jesus, you're now in Christ. And then chapter 6, 7, and the better part of 8 are all about what that means to be in Christ. It's like the hood gets thrown up and says, okay, you had that old beaten down, broken down model, and now you've got this. Let's find out what this thing will do. This is who you are now. And look what it says. And, and everybody listens to that and goes, okay, well, if it's that good, think about this. You share the gospel with somebody. If they really understand it, I've had people say to me before, 
especially when they were in a mess in their life too particular. That sounds too good to be true. You know what? It makes me want to jump, jump for joy because I'm thinking, you know, I think they get it. That's the way it ought to come across because that's the way it is. It almost sounds too good to be true, but it is true. That's where we trip up. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Hallelujah. And so everybody's going, okay, well, if that's true, Paul, we'll give you that. So I guess now that we've gone from Adam and we were condemned and we've gone to Christ and we're justified, I guess now we just go out and sin and do whatever we want to do because everything's so great and hunky-dory and God's good with us and He's good and Jesus' blood has covered us and righteousness has been imputed to us and now all of this has happened. I guess we just might as well go ahead. Is this what you're preaching? That you go out and just live the way you want to live? And the Apostle Paul responds... After the, he asked the question because he knew what they were thinking. What should we say then? What's your response to being in, in a crime? I know what you're thinking, Paul says. You're thinking, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, why don't we just go ahead and sin? Give God the opportunity after all to show off His grace. Let's stretch God. Let's see how far we can sin in Christ and give Him an opportunity to throw grace on top of that and see how far He can pile it up. You know what Paul's response to that was? The best translation that you can give in English is this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue and sin that grace may abound? Instead of certainly not, it would have been like this. Ah! That's it. Ah! You can't be thinking like that. No! No! A thousand times no. Absolutely not. Here's why. The key is this. Here's what you stand and need to know. You, do you not know that as many as us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into... No, so, so, wait a minute. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Here's what he's saying, y'all. When you say, Jesus said, okay, one died for all. What does that mean to me and you? That we died. One died for all. Therefore, all died. That for doesn't just mean He died as my substitute. That for means He died as my representative. It's both. You died and I died as believers in the death of Christ. What did we die to? What did we die to? It said Romans 6, 1. What did we die to? I'm going to stick two. What was it? We died to sin. There it is. It says we died to sin. You could say you died to Adam. What can Adam do? Nothing but sin. And you and I died and we were taken out of that line. As a matter of fact, not taken out and transferred in. We were killed and that line was thrown away. And we were born again through Christ and His resurrection into the spiritual loins of Jesus Christ. I took... My daughter Abigail, all of our children, I believe all of them, have been, were born at Kennestone Hospital. Yes, they were all born at Kennestone Hospital. And so, we were riding by there one day, and I looked up at the building, and I said, Abigail, that's the building you were born in. And she said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. What room? I don't remember. There's four of you. But it was one of them. And, 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 so we, and so we were talking about it and all that, and I got to reflecting back on it. And I'd like to go to the Holy Land. I would. But I might not ever get to in this life. And that's okay. But let me tell you, you know where your birthplace is as a Christian? The hospital you were born in is where you were born the first time. 
But you know where you were born the second time? At Calvary. That hill. I might not ever get to go see it there, but I've been there. I was there. Do you remember your birth? There were people around that recorded it. Did you get out of the womb? Are you that smart? And you came out and said, write it down, it's 531. You know? We had to tell you details about that. We had to inform you. Listen, you were born at Kenneston Hospital. You came out beautiful. And you were born. You weighed 5 pounds, 11 ounces. It was 531 in the afternoon on a Friday. I'll never forget it. And your mother looked at me like she could kill me until you came out. And then you came out. And we've been loving it ever since. And what, 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 what. I had to tell God says, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit was the attending physician. And He pulled you out of the loins of Jesus Christ. And you are God's child. Amen? You came out of Adam a sinner. You came out of Christ a saint. You came out of Adam condemned. You came out of Christ justified. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. You came out of Adam hopeless. You came out of Christ with nothing but hope. Nothing but hope. That's it. You're just full of hope. Whether you believe it or not, you're just full of hope. There's hope all over you. You've got hope with hope to spare. Hope is spilling out of you. You've got hope to throw around. And if you throw it around, God will replace it. You've got hope running all over you. Nothing but hope. Because you're born in Christ. Amen. You come out of Adam a sinner. You come out of Christ saint. You come out of Adam with unrighteousness. How do you come out of Christ? Righteous. See, it's what he said. Paul's saying this. The new you never wants to sin. The new you never wants to sin. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's what the attending physician is saying to you. When you were born again, you didn't know all this. You didn't come out of... You didn't, when I got saved, I didn't go up to the altar or wherever, you know, at People's Baptist Church in Hazelhurst, Georgia when I was 13 years old. And I didn't go down there and say, well now, I'm saved, sanctified, and full of the Holy Spirit. I've been born into Christ. I was born in Adam and I didn't, I didn't know all of that. All I knew was that I was a sinner and Christ died to save me from my sins and I trusted Him as my Savior. And since then, the attending physician has been telling me some things. Let me tell you what happened on the day of your birth. There are people, this, God was there in the birthing room. I was there too. And He said, let me tell you what all this means. Let's unpack this for you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, do you not know? Do you not know? He's writing to believers to say, you need to know. This is what you need to know. You are dead to sin. How can you continue to live any longer therein? Believer, let me, can I say this to you? Can I share this with you? Because look what it says. Let's move on. Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death? Remember, His death, I am credited with. I didn't die. Christ did. But I should have. So He took His death and credited it to me and said, Lindsay's done. And I'm going to raise Him new in my son. I got credited with that. So as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death. 
Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The death side is, I was credited with His death. The interim is, I was credited with His burial. And the life side is, I was credited, I have been credited with His life. Amen? Look at the Apostle Paul. For if we have been united together, some of the modern translations might say this, for since we have been united together, because that's what it means, since we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for He who has died has been freed from sin. Praise His name. You're free. I'm free. And the devil knows that. And here's his modus operandi for the Christian. He wants to talk us out of our freedom. Because in doing that, he's blaspheming the name of Christ. That is to blaspheme the name of Christ. When you are forgiven, don't you bring up repented, confessed sin before Christ again, and don't you let the devil label you as a worthy, unworthy sinner. You are a saint. You are in Christ. You are a new creature. You walk new because you have been made new. You do what comes natural. Did you know this? Listen to this. To sin for me and you as believers is unnatural. And for me to act righteous is natural. Whereas for Adam, he could do nothing but sin. But now in Christ, that's not natural for me. That's unnatural for me. It doesn't mean that I don't sin. But see, you know what we do? We are so scared of freedom because we've gotten so used to the jail. And we're just afraid. Oh, if we get free, we'll go out there and we're posing the same question. We've never asked this question, but we do ask it. And we go, wait a minute now. You're talking about that kind of freedom and people will start getting loose and they'll start living loose if you get to talking like that. There's got to be a check. You stay in line. You stay in line. And we use the traditions of men to try to sanctify people rather than the truth of the Word of God. You've been made free. You know what you are now? You're a slave of righteousness. You're enslaved to righteousness. Whereas before you were enslaved to sin. You do what slaves do. You obeyed your master. Who was your master? Sin. Because the sin nature was ruling over you. And now it's not that way anymore. It's not that way anymore. It's not that way anymore. Because why? You and I as believers died in the death of Christ. We were buried in the burial of Christ. And we were raised in the resurrection of Christ to newness of life. Look at the language of verse 5. You know that salvation is a relational thing, isn't it? Have you ever noticed the relational terms that are used in the Scriptures? They're all relational. It's not like God's up here and He's got a code. And He kind of goes and hands it down to you. And so you jump, you jump up and get it. 
Jump up and get it. Some of you can jump higher than others. Come here, come here, come here. Just get the coat. Go off and do the best you can. <laughs> Look what it says. Look what it says right here. Look at verse 5. For if we have been what? United together in the likeness of His death, certainly, certainly by the same token, we have been united together in His resurrected life. Oh, dear ones, does the news seem to get better all the time? It does, doesn't it? I don't know of anything bad about it. Except for the fact that I just threw away the second page of my notes. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I, here's, what I, here's what I firmly believe. It's a deep conviction of mine. And that is this. I believe with my entire heart, I believe with my entire heart, that far too many of us as Christians view ourselves and regard ourselves in the flesh. I really do. And I'm telling you right now, do you know there's nothing spiritual about that? Do you know there are people who will take and pervert to God's Word and live under some cloud or some dark, unbiblical bondage imposed on them bad by bad teaching or maybe by themselves fueled by their pride who never walk in the freedom that was theirs simply because they won't believe in what Christ did for their behalf and what it means to them today, not when you get to heaven. I can't finish this today. <clears throat> but we're not, we're going, God willing, we're going to finish it. But here's the thing. We don't regard men in the flesh anymore. Why? Because we don't know Christ that way anymore. Why? Because He's not that way anymore. Why? Because the reason He came in the flesh was to die on the cross, be buried and raised from the dead, and He did it. And then He ascended to the Father's right hand. And guess what He looks like now? He's in all of His glory. The same thing that John saw in Revelation chapter 1 and the same thing that you and I as believers are going to get to see because we're going to be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. We don't regard Him in the flesh anymore. Let me ask you a question. If you don't regard Him in the flesh, then why should you regard yourself in the flesh? Why should you regard others in the flesh? I wanted, there are three, three things to this. One would be the way we regard non-believers. Not according to the flesh. Second one is the way we see ourselves. And the third one that has everything to do with church life and witness is how we see others. But let me tell you the whole... It is a fact. It is a fact that when you walked up to the tabernacle and Phil comes up there on the Day of Atonement and he knows that Phil needs forgiveness. Phil needs his sins taken care of because Phil has sinned. And he goes up to the tabernacle instructed by God. Phil and his family go up to the tabernacle and they bring a lamb with them. And they're accompanied by a lamb. Now it's not just any lamb. It can't be the last of the bunch. It can't have spot or blemish. It's got to be firstborn. It's got to be according to the biblical instruction. You just can't pick any lamb out of the flock. Because it's not going to be acceptable. How does that determine? Well, the priest meets Phil inside the tabernacle. And he doesn't start looking through Phil's hair. And start examining Phil. And look at Phil. And there's a reason to examine Phil. Phil's not fit 
Phil's the one the sacrifice is being made for. What does he examine? The lamb. He looks at the lamb. And he examines the lamb. And he makes sure that that lamb is the fit sacrifice. That's what matters. It's the condition of the lamb. It's what matters. You see it? It's the condition of the lamb. What did God say concerning His Son? At His baptism, He said this. This was His examination of the lamb. What did He say? That is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's examining the lamb. At the transfiguration, what did He say? Behold, this is my Son, Peter, Hush and listen to Him. Let me tell you where the examination took place and we know that we're free. God's final exam to show that Christ passed the test, that He was the one, was when He sent Him back down to that tomb to occupy that body and said, Come forth. And everything that God now says about His Son. He says about His adopted sons and daughters because of the Lamb. Here's my point. To not appropriate this truth by faith, to call back from it, is not religious. It is sin. Because it's blasphemy. Because what you're saying is, what God says about His Son in some way is not true. Watch it now. I suspect that us at the ebb and flow of our Christian life need to repent of having done that. And we need to appropriate by faith that what God says about His Son is absolutely true. And if what God says about His Son is absolutely true, we will be absolutely transformed. And if we're absolutely transformed, we will carry about in our body the fragrance of Christ. We will. That's about one-third of what I plan to preach this morning. But, yeah, literally. And so, um, I, I implore you, for those who are in Adam, don't regard them according to the flesh. They're not the issue. What they've done in relation to Christ and His offer of salvation is. And, and, and don't expect anything from them except for them to be bound in the slavery they bound in. And you once were. Me too. Don't regard yourself according to the flesh. And don't regard your brothers and sisters that way either. We're in Christ. Amen. Celebrate Him. And you say, how do I grow in that? If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples Indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. If you're set free, you can come back into bondage. But if you're made free, that means you've been re- you're a brand new model. Because here's the truth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Amen.